0: A welcome to anyone visiting our temple community and just a hearty hello to all of our congregants here for coming out tonight. Avraham Infeld has dedicated his life to building Jewish identity and strengthening the state of Israel and our Jewish people. While Avraham makes his home in Israel, The impact of the programs that he has helped to lead and helped to shape can be felt throughout the Jewish world. And as I give you just a taste of the institutions that Avraham has played a role in, I'm gonna see lots of heads nodding of, wow, I have, I know somebody who was involved in that. Avraham Infeld is the President Emeritus of Hillel the foundation for Jewish campus life. So any college students that you know who Hillel played a central role in their life, you can nod your heads. Avraham Infeld also was director of the Birthright Israel planning process. So anyone that you know who has been involved in birthright in Tazmite, if um, you also have a hand in shaping that I heard a couple Yasher co-ops out there. Absolutely. Right. Avram Infeld was born and grew up in the Jewish community in South Africa and when did you make Aliyah? When did you move to Israel?
1: At the age of 16.
0: At the age of 16.
1: about four years ago. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Is a graduate of the illustrious Hebrew University, um, one of my alma maters. Um, and in addition to having much pride in the work that he does in Jewish community, um, I think this afternoon at the Lunch and Learn, I saw your face light up most when speaking of your 15 grandchildren and one great-grandchild, lots of Hnafas. That's good work in the
1: Jewish community.
0: Absolutely, absolutely. Jewish continuity, Jewish peoplehood. Without further ado, it is such a pleasure to introduce an articulate and also dynamic and engaging speaker. Thank you very, very
1: much. Good evening, I'm happy to be here. Is there anybody who was at my talk earlier today? Okay, so I'll just, uh, there's maybe two or three little parts where I'll have to repeat myself in order to make sense of what I want to talk about tonight. My home is in Israel. Um, it's not an accident that my home was in Israel. I grew up in a very Zionist family. Uh, my father, he was born into a Hasidic home and was a Hasid until the age of 17 or 16. He rejected that world, he became an atheist. He was a Jewish atheist, he always used to say, I'm an atheist, Baruch Hashem. (laughs) Um, Never spoke to me in any other language other than Hebrew in South Africa, despite the fact that he'd never lived in Israel. And when I turned 16 and a little bit after that graduated high school, My father came to me one morning and said to me, uh, Avram, goodbye. I said, Dad, where are you going? He said, I'm not, you are. (laughs) I said, where am I going? He said to me, you're a Jewish youngster, there's a Jewish state, goodbye. (laughs) I should have expected it. The education I received at home led up to that. One of my mother's pupils is sitting in the audience, right? We haven't seen each other for 64 years, by the way, so... We met this morning. Um, I didn't really want to go to Israel. I had this absolutely gorgeous girlfriend and uh, I didn't want to leave her. I don't know why I still get excited when I think about it. and And I said to my father, maybe I'll go to university in South Africa and then I'll go to Israel. And my father says to me, "Uh uh-uh, you're a Jewish youngster, there's a Jewish slave, goodbye. And I remember saying, but Abba, he said, it's because of her, right? I said, yes, it's because of her. And I'll never forget, my father said to me, I promise you, if she really loves you, she'll follow you. I said, Dad, are you sure? He said, 100%. I've never seen her since. (laughs) (laughs) It's not quite true. About three years ago, I was in London and I gave a talk and I told the story I said I've never seen her since and she stood up in the audience after 50 years she's changed (laughs) (laughs) unbelievably. I know that I remained the way I was but she changed (laughs) but I went to Israel and I'm not sure where I went What is this place called Israel? So I want to tell you two stories. They are, to my mind, the two master stories of this little place in the Middle East called Israel. The first story I'm going to tell appears for the first time in the Talmud, but then was repeated in a book by the only Israeli... Whoever ever received the Nobel Prize for Literature. I'm a gentleman by the name of Shai Abidon. A very por- prolific writer. And to my mind, if you want to test whether one is an educated Jew or not, see on how many levels they can understand a story by Abidon. A wonderful writer. And Abnon gets a Nobel Prize and he goes to the ceremony and the ceremony is on Shabbat and he's an Orthodox Jew, well into his 80s. He doesn't travel on Shabbat. He walks to the ceremony and when they call him up, the tradition is they give you a certificate and they give you a check. They took the certificate. He told him, I can't take the check in Shabbos he sent it in the mail and then he was expected to make a speech and he got up and said I don't know how to make a speech I'm a storyteller so I'd like to tell a story and I want to tell you the story he told it's a story about a man who groaned from his heart and he went to the doctor and the doctor told him that he has to drink goat's milk. So he went out and bought himself a goat. But the strangest thing happened. Every few days this goat used to disappear. And whenever the goat returned, its udders were filled with milk that had the taste of heaven. And the Father wanted to know, where does the goat go? What does the goat eat? Where does the goat get this milk? So he calls his son and he says to his son, My son, I want you to follow the goat. It's a very famous story called Maaseha is The Fable of the Goat. And the son said, Okay Dad, I will. And that very night, the son took a leash and tied a leash to the collar of the goat. Now, just by the way, the word in Hebrew for leash is Meshicha, written with the letter Chaf. Agnon wrote the word Meshicha with a Chet, which comes from the word Mashiach, Messiah. He doesn't usually make spelling mistakes. (laughs) And the father tied the goat, tied the goat to the... uh, the leash to the goat, and that very night the goat pulled, got up and left, pulled on the leash, woke up the sun. The sun followed the goat, and went outside. He knew not for how long he was walking. Was he walking for a day or for two days or for two nights? And all of a sudden he saw a cave in front of him, and he saw the goat go into the cave. And he followed him into the cave, and he knew not how long he was in the cave. Was he there for a day or two days or longer? And when he came out the other side, he saw this beautiful blush greenery around him, he saw these beautiful hills with water trickling down the mountains, down the hills, he saw these gorgeous box of trees, he saw the goat drink of this water, he saw the goat eat of this fruit, and he lay down in the sun basking. And after a while, he knew not how long, was it a day, was it two, was it more, the goat again pulled into the leash and went back to the cave. And the man started following the goat. And all of a sudden he saw three men in the distance. And he wanted to know where he was. So he went up to his men and he said to them, Who, where are, who are you and where am I? And these men said, You are in the land of Israel. You are in the city, near the city of Tzfat, in the Galilee. And it is Friday afternoon. And it is our custom to walk out into the fields to welcome the Shabbat queen. Why don't you come and pray with us? And the goat was pulling. And the man said, Oh my God, it's Shabbat, I can't follow the goat. What am I going to do? My father's waiting and the goat's pulling. What am I going to do? And he wrote a note. And he said to his father, Father, just grab the goat's leash and follow the goat. It'll bring you to your salvation. For years you've taught me about the land of Israel. When we pray, we face the land of Israel. When we dream, we dream of the land of Israel. When we pray for rain, we pray for rain according to the seasons in the land of Israel. Just grab that leash and follow the goat. And he tied, he took the note and he put the note in the goat's ear because he knew that whenever his father saw the goat, he used to pet the goat's head. And whenever he pet the goat's head, the goat used to shake its head. And he knew that the note would fall out and his father would find the note. So he put the note in the goat's ear and he sent the goat into the cave. At the other end, there's a father waiting for his son. And all of a sudden out of the cave comes a goat, alone. And the man felt the way Jacob must have felt when the brothers came home without Joseph. And he said, where is my son? (laughs) Has an evil beast devoured him? Where is my son? And he forgot to pet the goat's head. And the note never fell out. And every day when his father saw the goat, he became more and more despondent. And he couldn't stand it. So one day he called the Shochet, the ritual slaughterer. They told the Shochet to butcher the goat. And after he did, they skinned the goat and out fell the note and the father read the note and began to cry woe unto me for not petting the head of this goat I lost my chances for salvation and then Agnon turns around to the king and he's king of Norway and he says to the king Mr. King, that's how he called him I want you to know that I am a member of the first generation that found the entrance to that cave again. And I live in that land of Israel from which I bring you greetings. And he sat down. Now that story is a master story of the land of Israel. Because it describes the dreams that jews always had about returning to the land of israel when we dreamt we dreamt about the land of israel when we prayed we prayed facing the land of israel when we prayed for rain we prayed according to the seasons in the land of israel is that master story that talks about that dream and the hope of the Jew to one day return to Israel. That's one story. There's another story about... ...Israel. Another master story about Israel. And here I apologize to those who heard me this morning. I want to repeat. About 250 years ago, When the jews leave the ghetto because modernity is beginning in the world in which we're living all kinds of new fangled ideas are teaching this world modern nationalism liberalism and the doors of the ghetto open and jews are invited to leave the ghetto and many jews try to leave the ghetto And one of our problems is, perhaps our major problem, is that when Jews left the Ghetto, and they were invited to leave the Ghetto and to stop being different, different Jews gave different answers to this invitation to stop being different. But one of the answers of many of the Jews who tried to become part of the world around them and failed to do so because even though there was nationalism and even though there was liberalism anti-semitism never stopped and many Jews tried to assimilate and did not succeed and they had a very interesting reaction to this fact that they tried to assimilate and did not succeed and that reaction was Mr. Non-Jew, I cannot become one of you, therefore I'm going to become just like you. They didn't mean I'm going to become an Englishman like you, or a Pole like you, or a Russian like you, or a Frenchman like you. They meant I'm going to become Russian, Polish, French or British, the way you are Jewish. You have an answer? you have a flag you have a state you have an army that's the way i'm going to be a jew i'm going to have an anthem i'm going to have a flag i'm going to have a state i'm going to have an army i am going to take the laws of modern nationalism which you applied to yourself and i'm going to apply those laws to myself and that is the beginning of modern Zionism. don't let the settlers on the west bank tell you that they created zionism zionism was a secular movement by excellence it said i am going to become just like the the non-Jew, because I cannot become one of them. As a matter of fact, there's a diary in which this man writes a suggestion that on a particular Sunday, he even sets the date for that Sunday in which he suggests that every parent in the world take every Jewish parent in the world take their children to the closest church have them baptized Have them converted. And by that we've solved the problem of the Jewish people. Now in this modern world, let's stop being Jewish. And the way to do it, it's too late for us. We're already adult. But we can save our kids. You know who wrote that diary? You know whose diary it was? A gentleman by the name of Theodor Herzl the founder of modern Zionism who 8 years later says I was wrong I can't assimilate and therefore Mr. non-Jew if I cannot become one of you I'm going to become just like you and all of a sudden the land of Israel is a platform on which some of the Jewish people decide to apply the laws of modern nationalism to the Jewish people and move from becoming a people into becoming a nation. Now my father said go to Israel and I went to Israel. Where did I go? Do you know, I go to the land in which God was fulfilling His promise to return me to the land? Like in that first national story? Or did I go to the land in which the Jewish people were applying the laws of modern nationalism to themselves? I have lived there now for 54 years and I don't know the answer. Because living in Israel, you are constantly living with those two stories at the same time. I don't know how many of you remember seeing the Israeli army pulling the settlers out of Gaza. Yeah. You know what that was? There was a clash between the two stories. The people sitting in, the Gaza, in Gaza were saying we're there because you know what's happening now in Israel? It's got nothing to do with modern nationalism. This is God fulfilling His promise to return us one day to the lands of Israel. That is why modern Orthodox Zionist Jews and most conservative synagogues and perhaps some Reform synagogues, when you say the prayer for the State of Israel, in the morning, on Shabbat morning, you say, Bless the State of Israel, Reshit Tzmikat Gulatenu the beginning of the redemption of our people. What's happening there is God is fulfilling His promise to return Jews to the land. David Ben-Gurion writes in his diary that on May the 15th or the 16th, the 15th was Shabbat, he sent planes to Aden to pick up the Yemenite Jews and to fly them into Israel. And he says, I sent those planes because of modern nationalism. And you know what happened? The Yemenite Jew got on the plane and he'd never ever heard of modern nationalism. But he did read in that little black book, One day I'm going to come and get you on the wings of eagles. <laughs> so it's not, a, not an eagle, but it has wings. And to there, they get on this plane and they come to Israel. Why? Because this is the fulfillment of God's promise to return us to our land. But the Jews who set the plane, they set the plane because they're trying to build a modern national state. <coughs> and so the tension in Israel constantly is trying to understand what is this country? Is this country the platform on which God is fulfilling His promise or is Israel a platform in which the Jewish people are applying the laws of modern nationalism to themselves? Wow! That is why reading a newspaper in Israel is like learning a page of Talmud. It is, you've got to ask who's saying what he's saying why is he saying what he's saying what is his understanding of what the state is all about and in almost every issue because david ben-gurion on may the 14th 1948 gets up on a platform in Tel aviv on a state of rothschild the british mandate has just ended The Arabs are about to attack this land. Shabbos is coming and the rabbis are driving him mad. And he gets up and announces the creation of the State of Israel. And he does not say... He reads out the most important legal document that Israel has. We unfortunately do not yet have a constitution. We don't even have a proper Bill of Rights. But what we do have is our Declaration of Independence in which the Jews who were living there (laughs) expressed their hopes and their dreams and their aspirations for the State. And David Ben-Gurion does not say, I hereby declare the creation of the State of Israel. He says, I hereby declare the creation of a Jewish State to be known as Israel. And ever since then, the entire world is living in absolute confusion. What the heck is a Jewish state? A state can't pray. A state doesn't eat kosher. You can't even circumcise a state. Although there are people cutting off little bits and pieces all over the place. It's still not circumcision. So what are you referring to when you're saying it's a Jewish state? And it's impossible to understand anything that's going on in Israel without dealing with that question. I will never forget, I was a scholar in residence of a mission from Toronto, Canada. The week before Ambassador Rabin was killed. It was the week of the budget talks in the Knesset. And we had invited on Shabbat two speakers to come and speak to us. One was Benny Begin, the son of Menachem Begin. And the other one was Yitzhak Rabin, the Prime Minister of the State of Israel. And everybody said to me, don't invite Rubin, he's not going to come, he's so busy, he's a prime minister, it's not going to work. I said, it's the week of the budget talks, he'll be there. And I was right. He had to get away from it, listen. <laughs> <laughs> the pressure on him was too great. And I knew that we provided him with a great excuse. And he came and he begins his speech saying, I want you to know, how proud I am to be the Prime Minister of a Jewish state. And I said, what do you mean a Jewish state? And he said, for me a Jewish state is a state which has a majority of Jews. A Jewish state is a state in which Jews live not under the control of non-Jews. A Jewish state is a state which lives according to Jewish values. And I am going to devote the rest of my life, which turned out to be another five days, in order to ensure. That is why I am going to make a peace agreement with the Palestinians. Because we have a serious demographic issue. If I do not give up the West Bank, there will be more non-Jews than Jews and we will not be able to live according to Jewish values and still remain a Jewish state. We will have to choose between being a democratic state or being a Jewish state. And I choose to live in a democratic Jewish state and therefore I want to reach a peace agreement with the Palestinians and give up the West Bank. An hour later Benny Begin comes in, how proud I am to be a member of the Knesset in a Jewish state. I said, Benny, what are you talking about? What do you mean a Jewish state? He says, a Jewish state is a state that lives and exists on the maximum amount of land possible that once belonged to the Jews. That's what a Jewish state is all about. It's a reenactment. And we will never give up one inch of land because we're a Jewish state. And the pro were confused. I was supposed to be their teacher, I was confused. I walk out and I'm standing outside, I hear a discussion. And hear this one guy saying... There was a big debate that day in Israel about whether you should open cinemas in Israel on the Shabbat or not. And there's one guy saying... No, of course you can't open cinemas in Israel on Shabbat! Are you crazy? It's Shabbos! We're in Jewish state! And the other guy says... Are you out of your mind? What do you want my kids to do on Shabbat afternoon or Friday night? Where are they supposed to go for entertainment? You want them to bum around? We're not a shawl, We're a Jewish state! And this discussion goes on and on and on. A Jewish state, a Jewish state, a Jewish state! And the interesting thing is that every opinion in Israel is justified by the statement because we're a Jewish state. Do we hold the land? Yes, because we're a Jewish state. Do we give up the land? Yes, because we're a Jewish state. Do you open cinemas? No, we're a Jewish state. Do you open cinemas? Yes, because we're a Jewish state. (laughs) (laughs) And then we expect our kids to grow up
2: normal.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So I want you to take this little package in your hand. Do You all have it. Yes. No. Yeah. Anybody else don't have one? On that side. I can't see it mm-hmm. By the way, this is in no way the talk Yes so Oh, you're waiting for me yeah. I have a question I didn't know that you and me are alumni Sorry? That you and me are alumni They were in the university I want somebody to read. This is from Israel's Declaration of Independence on page one. No, page two. From Israel's Declaration of Independence. This is not the talk I planning to give, by the way. It's just, this is more interesting. Will somebody read? Accordingly, we members of the People's Council,
3: representatives of the Jewish community of Israel, and the Zionist movement are here assembly assembled on the day of the virtue of our natural and historic right and on the strength of a resolution of the United Nations General Assembly hereby declare the establishment of a Jewish state in Eretz Israel Israel, to be known as the state of
1: Israel. We hereby declare the creation of a Jewish state to be known as Israel in the land of Israel known as the State of Israel. Why? What right do they have to declare it? Look at the text. This is we're having a Talmud class, people. <laughs> <laughs> Look at that text. What are they saying? Why do we have the right to declare it? Based on what? The
2: UN. The UN, the UN no. 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 The UN general. Right for the UN for ah, right <laughs> You, the the U- man man is man is thank easy. you, that's right! <coughs> and then the UN get the good bank. Account.
1: Yeah, it's right. not first and second, yeah, you know what it means. is? It's There's 2 different understandings of what, what Israel is. Good,
2: yeah.
1: uh-huh. In order to write this document that the Jews who were living there would agree upon a common statement, they had to include both. <laughs> we base the creation of the State of Israel <coughs> On our natural right. What is that? My memory, my history, the fact that God gave it, gave it as a promise to Abraham. Uh. Uh-uh. We're basing it on the right given us by the United Nations. Two different stories. We got two for. Realize. That's my other way of living. I'm paying taxes enough for two states, the
3: The state of Israel will be open for Jewish immigration and for the ingathering of the exiles.
1: Stop. The Jewish state will be open for Jewish immigration and for the ingathering of the exiles. What's Jewish immigration? Jews moving from here to there. What's the in-gathering of the exile? Jews moving from here to there. Why say it twice? Because it's two different stories. If the second one are the Yemenites. What? If the second one are the Yemenites. That from that story that I told you is those who recognize that Israel is the fulfillment of God's promise to return. That's why it's the ingathering of those who were exiled. But to the others, what is it?
2: Immigration. It will be open
1: for Jewish immigration. We've created a Jewish state. Every Jew immigrate to the state. Read on. It will foster the development of the country for the benefit
3: of all of its inhabitants. It will be based on freedom, justice, and peace. Hold on.
1: It will, what did you say? It will foster the development of the country for what? For the benefit of all its inhabitants. Oh, I can see the Israeli citizens of Israel smiling while I read this. Oh, 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 this is for their benefit. But they wanted it to be. But now go
3: on. It will be based on freedom, justice and peace.
1: Doesn't that sound great? Yes. Uh Freedom, justice, and peace. Where does that come from?
2: Goodbye.
1: I'm no, 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 no. French. Where? The French Revolution. <laughs> the French Revolution. <laughs> We're a party state. We're going to be based on freedom, justice, and peace. Go on. As envisioned, as envisioned
3: by the prophets of Israel.
1: Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. You insist that I say freedom, justice and peace, okay. But the way freedom and justice and peace were understood by the prophets of Israel. This has got nothing to do with the French Revolution. This has got nothing to do with nationalism. This has to do with the Bible, our prophets. It's a deep part of our being.
3: Go on. It will ensure complete equality of social and political rights of all of its inhabitants, irrespective
1: of religion, race, or sex. Oh. <laughs> I want you to know something. I understand that it's absolutely freedom of is absolute equality in Israel, irrespective of race or sex. Of religion? <laughs> By the way, there is absolute and complete and total freedom of religion in Israel to everybody except you, to Jews. To Jews.
2: To Jews. <laughs> That's That's choice.
1: Jews are the only people who do not have freedom of religion in Israel. You try, as a reform rabbi, come and do a wedding.
0: That's <laughs> why <laughs> I'm in South
1: Orange County. <laughs> yeah, but she can go to the Kotel
0: and get and get, and spirit and spirit.
1: And get stone. Um, but they will change how could they write this they must how could they write we are going to get guaranteed freedom of equality irrespective of religion they knew that the jews were not a religion the whole concept of jews being a religion is a modern idea It's only 250 years old. We were never a religion. By the way, we still still aren't. We're just pretending to be. (laughs) Jews were always a people that had a religion. But they were never a religion. So when they spoke about freedom of religion, they never thought of applying this to Jews. That's not what they were talking about. It wasn't anti reform or anti conservative. The guys who wrote this had never heard of reform or conservative. What it was was a statement that the Jews are not a religion. They're my people. You see what's going on over here? The intermingling of these two stories. Even in the first document, when you're about to present to the world who you are, you can't talk straight. <laughs> You have to tell both stories in one sentence. What an amazing work of art this was. <laughs> the wording of this document. I want you to go on quickly. It will guarantee freedom
3: of religion, conscience, language, education and culture. It will safeguard the holy places of all religions and will, it will be faithful to the Charter of the United Nations. Right.
1: will guarantee... All the holy places of all religions, and we will live according to the Charter of the United Nations. Are we a religion? Are we a nation? We have to put them both in there, because otherwise we're not talking about us.
2: Well. But isn't it the Bible writing that you have to, to treat the girl the same that we treat us?
1: Yes, and if you want to forget about that, a lot of rabbis can forget that. But it's 100% written. And the, and the, uh, the, uh, Israel does not treat the ger the way they should, by the way, it's a problem. But that's not what they're referring to. What I'm trying to show you in this document is that this is an attempt to, to define something which is a very, very sophisticated, very, very difficult idea. And therefore, my friends, when you want to talk about Israel, when you want to criticize Israel, don't do it superficially. Israel is a complex issue. I always say, if you want to criticize Israel, feel free. But why criticize like a mother-in-law when you can criticize like a mother? (laughs) (coughs) these issues are not easy now that's our founding document how does that affect us in law the first basic law passed in Israel what's the difference between a basic law and a regular law in order to change a basic law you need a 75 percent majority in order to change a regular law you just need a majority but we don't have a constitution, and we do have a set of basic laws which are more difficult to change and one of the first basic laws in the state of israel is a very simple law it says every Jew is entitled To immigrate to Israel. But the wording, every Jew is in to migrate to Israel. That's the whole law. It's called the law of. Israel. Israel. Every Jew is entitled to migrate to Israel. Do you know what every means? You know what entitled means? You know what migrate means? You know what, you know what to Israel means? <laughs> There's only one little three-letter word. (laughs) That's very confusing. What do you mean by Jew? (laughs) And all of a sudden, because of this law, develops an issue called Who is a Jew? Why? Because of two stories that I want to tell you. The first story is of a gentleman by the name of Oswald Rufheisen. Oswald Rufheisen was born to a Jewish family. He was very religious. As I said this morning about somebody else, he was so religious, he became a Catholic. (laughs) (laughs) He became a Catholic priest. (coughs) He spent the war years in Germany as a Catholic priest, trying to save Jewish lives. When the war was over, he left Germany and moved to Israel, went to the Carmel, settled in the Carmel Monastery. He became known as Brother Daniel and he lived in Israel
3: as a Catholic.
1: After he was in Israel for eight years, he decides he wants to become a citizen of the country. So he went to the Ministry of Interior and he said, I would like to become a citizen and they said to him, no problem, you've been here for more than five years. Anybody who's been here for five years has behaved themselves, can become a citizen. He said, I do not want that kind of citizenship. I want citizenship under the law of return. They said, we're very sorry sir, but the law of return says, every Jew. He says, I'm a Jew. I said, what's that funny collar? He says, I'm a Catholic priest. Didn't you just say you were a Jew? He says, yes, I'm a Jew. I'm born to Jewish parents. I'm a member of the Jewish people. I came to Israel to live with my people. I'm a Catholic by my religion. What did the person in the Ministry of Interior say? I'll call my supervisor. <laughs> it went from one supervisor to another and eventually it comes to the supreme court of the state of israel now i want you to know the brightest people in the country are the people who sit on the supreme court of israel there's a total of 13 members of the supreme court the supreme court judges of israel Highly respected, wonderful people, very intelligent, all great jurists, proving themselves in their field of law in Israel. And the judge, uh, the, the, just, the chief justice, says this cannot be decided by one judge; it has to go to a tribunal of three judges. So the case goes to a tribunal of three judges. By chance. One of the judges happened to be an Orthodox Jew and the other two were Secular Jews. And the case comes and they can't reach a unanimous decision. And the case is decided against Oswald Rufheisen, two to one. The only one who said he was a Jew was the Orthodox Jew. Because according to Halakha, he's a Jew. He's born to a Jewish mother. Nothing you can do about it, you're stuck as a Jew. If you convert out, you may think you're a Catholic. (laughs) But all you are is a converted Jew. A Yehudim Umar. The two secular judges make the statement In the majority opinion which says the moment you have taken upon yourself another religion you've removed yourself from your nation. I know of no other place in the world where such a decision could be made. Because you've taken upon yourself another religion you've removed yourself from your people, from your nation. And therefore, Oswald Rufheisen, no, you cannot become a citizen under the law of return. There was a second case, a chairman by the name of Captain Shalit. Captain Shalit served from the age of 17 in the Israeli army, a military hero with almost every prize you could possibly get. He lived on a kibbutz. He had wonderful taste. He fell in love with a Swedish volunteer on his kibbutz, who wasn't Jewish. He went back to Gothenburg, where she lived, and they got married. He came back to Israel. She had two children. He decided that he wanted to go and register his children at the Ministry of Interior. He came to the Ministry of Interior, he said, I'd like to register my children the way you are registered in Israel you get an identity card and under the identity card it's written either Jew Arab or other he gets back the identity cards for his kids and it says other he says what are you talking about these are my kids come to the kibbutz Meet all the kids and pick out my two. How are they other? In what way are they different from any other kid on the keyboard? As a matter of fact, the only language they know is Hebrew. The only songs they know are Jewish songs. Their whole life they think of themselves as Jews. Of course they're Jews and i said no if you're not born to a jewish mother you cannot be a jew this goes to the supreme court this time the supreme court says knesset you have an unclear law on your books you have to clarify what do you mean by june and so the knesset goes into into debate and they amend the law and if you look at page four b in the middle of this you find the decision that the commission passed which says as follows with respect to this law a Jew is one who is born to a Jewish, to a Jewish mother, or converted to Judaism, and is not a member of another religion. Great! They answered both questions. It's a great answer. This either, either, or, and. You are a Jew if you are born to a Jewish mother. That took care of Shalitis out. Or you converted to Judaism. You the child or you the
2: parent? Or the,
1: parent? Either you, or the child. So Either the Jewish mother or the child has converted. Either the Jewish mother converted before the birth, then the child's a Jew. Okay. But if the child, if she gives birth to the child before she converts, then the child has to convert. Ah, okay. All right. And is not a member of another religion, solve the problem of Brother Daniel. Yay, what a great law! Excepting <laughs> that there's one little word over here that nobody understands. And what's that? Convert. Convert! Convert. <laughs> what do you mean by conversion? Very interesting. The moment that this became a law, a gentleman who lived at... What is it, the address of Eastern Parkway? The Lubavitcher Libby?
0: Eastern
1: Park. Seven Seventy Eastern Parkway. You know that according to Kabbal, everything in Judaism has to be multiplied by four, because ufaratza, you should spread yamav aked matsaf bed. You should spread. Where was so every Jew should be numbered by four. What is seven seventy multiplied by four? Forty. Thirty eighty. That's JTS's address. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> not that. That and
0: Hebrew Union College is on West
1: 4th Street Are you, yeah also yeah. so 770 Eastern Parkway lives it, and the moment they amended the law, he goes into gear to have three words attached to the law. and those three words were after the word perverts to add the word according to, to. Halakha. Mm. 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 And he, of course, meant when he said Halakha according to Orthodox Jewish tradition. Yes, the moment they would have passed that amendment we would have had a debate what do we mean by Halakha? Yeah. But it never passed. Mm. Five times it's come to the present right. to add these words and it's never passed. But the last time it didn't pass It did not pass by one vote in a Knesset in which there were nine Arab members of the Knesset. So how do I know that Israel is a Jewish state? An Arab decided who is a (laughs) Jew. People, we're not normal! (laughs) We're not normal! But that's the reality. (laughs) You know what happened as a result of that? People saying, wait a second. If that's the way Arabs are going to vote, then there are issues that come before the Knesset that Arabs should not be allowed to vote on. (laughs) Now, the moment you say that, that's the end of democracy, right? So in every inch of the way, this little state in the Middle East Going through an amazing struggle to remain a Jewish democratic state. Mm. And you cannot give up on either. We didn't just create another state in the Middle East. I mean, how many Jews were living there in 1948 when they created the state? About 550 Jews you know what 550 people are? That's 11 blocks in Manhattan. <laughs> Try to imagine 11 blocks in Manhattan, all redheads, decide they're going to create a state, they're going to call it Gigiville, <laughs> and send ambassadors to the United Nations. You can't do that. Peoples are entitled to a state, and anybody who says the Jewish people have no right to a state, is not an anti-Zionist, he's an anti-Semite. Because if you say that the non-Jews are entitled to something and the Jew is not, that's an anti-Semitic statement. So, Israel is created as a Jewish state and struggling very, very hard to remain a Jewish state. And, and struggling very hard to remain a democratic state. Therefore, when you read about Israel, Trying to understand where our battery is going, but I'm going to get this. So one of the issues is, is Israel a fulfillment of the messianic dream, or is Israel a fulfillment of modern nationalism? And that struggle goes on constantly, as I showed you, both by law and in our legal documents. Another issue. I teach the Holocaust in Israel. And when I teach the Holocaust in Israel, there are two central lessons that I try to teach about the Holocaust. Number one lesson is, look what can happen to people who have no power. The Jews, they went like sheep to the slaughter therefore never give up on power value power demand power power is essential and the second lesson is look what happened to a people who had power the germans be afraid of power beware power Always balance power! Don't get carried away for power! And we are a people who have just beaten 70 years ago through this Holocaust. We saw both. My grandmother went to Auschwitz for those two reasons. Because it was a people who had no power and because there was a people who had the power. And at all times we have to struggle to balance between those two things. It's not easy. It's a lot easier when your neighbor is Canada. Even that's not easy, still. <laughs> but when you know that your neighbor publicly says, Or at least some of your neighbors publicly say they want to destroy you. How do you then live with balancing between power and beware of power? It's not an easy issue. Just by hearing a story or reading the paper, don't jump to conclusions. Imagine what it would be like if you had to make those decisions right after the Holocaust. Very difficult. That's not our only problem. We're not normal. An interesting situation. We Jews are a majority in the State of Israel. We are a minority in a Muslim Middle East. We are part of a people that are a minority in the Christian world. We wake up every morning not knowing whether we are a majority or a minority. And we live constantly with that situation. And if you were to look at some of the horrible things that Israel has done, and they have done, and some of the biggest mistakes that Israel has made, it's always happened when they've responded as a majority, as a minority, when they should have responded as a majority, or they responded as a majority, when they should have responded as a minority. And it keeps on over and over again. But it's a psychosis that we Jews have. We do not know whether we are a majority or a minority. I'm a majority in my state. Sometimes being fully aware that you're a majority gives you the power to say yes! To say okay! To welcome differing opinions! To be respectful of others! Very often when you're a minority you're filled with fear You're very careful at how you respond You're always in danger But that's the integral part of our being. I don't know of anybody else who lives in that condition in that situation that Israel is, and we make mistakes, people. Boy, do we make mistakes! But we have to try to understand why those are happening, not accept them. Help educate to respond as a majority. And you should respond as a majority, and as a minority, you respond as a minority, and not the other way around. But understand why it's happening. All well, that isn't enough. We have a wonderful gift that could only have come from the devil, and that is Israel's electoral system.
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> who the heck created this? You know who? Israel's electoral system, Israel is the only country in the world where the electoral system is older than the country. (laughs) This was the electoral system that existed in an organization called the World Zionist Organization created by Herzl. And in this World Zionist Organization which used to meet on a regular basis at a Congress every four years. Jews used to fight. They argued like hell. Over non issues.
2: <laughs>
1: there wasn't a state. So if I disagree with you on a very important issue, like whether the roofs should be red or green, <laughs> and we don't agree, You know off often you create your own political party. The Red Roof Party! (laughs) And I'm the Green Roof, because there's nothing else to deal with, there's no state. We can't charge taxes. We can't go to war. We're dealing with a state in the making, there's no state yet. And the state is created with 27 political parties within the World Zionist Organization. And all of these political parties with a different vision for Israel. You have a Socialist Party. And then you have a more Socialist Party. (laughs) But then you also have the even more Socialist Party. (laughs) And you have the Capitalist Party. And you have the not-quite-as-capitalist party. (laughs) And you have the religious party. And you have the anti-religious party. Um, And all of these parties exist together. And we declare a state. And the state absorbs the electoral system of the World Zionist Organization. And all of a sudden, the state has to deal with real issues and you have 27 political parties running for the first election in a country where there were next than 400,000 people who had the vote. Ha <laughs> ha! What fun! And you know what that creates? That creates a situation where no one has ever, no party in Israel, has ever since its creation Want a majority. And therefore, in order to rule in Israel, the secret word is coalition. Coalition. If I even am so great as to get 57%, 47% of the vote, and my friend Mike has 4% of the vote
2: <coughs>
1: and why can I shake hands and we're going to go together because together 47 and he's 4 we have 51% who's running the country? It's Mike! Mike. <laughs> you, you promise?
2: <laughs> I
1: did, I shook hands and therefore Israel has always been ruled my by minority parties by the small parties which always provide the tanglash between minority and majority but the great thing until 1968 was all of the parties were parties that had a vision for the state so it was at least a battle over visions and dreams but after 1968 all of a sudden, you begin to develop in Israel parties which are representing elements of the society, of the citizens, not in the vision of Israel, but in what is good for them. Mm-hmm. All of a sudden, you have a Spharagite party mm-hmm. whose goal it is to see to the interests of the Spharadim. And all of a sudden, you develop new religious parties, not whose goal is to have a religious vision of Israel. They don't care about Israel. They want to guarantee that their people get the most that they possibly can out of the government. And the whole situation changes and no longer is Israel a wonderfully idealistic party dreaming and fighting over visions. All of a sudden, You have a lousy electoral system in which the majority of parties become parties not of issue, but of self gain. Like
2: the United States, like we have.
1: Now, that also makes it easier to form a coalition. Because when I form a coalition with somebody with whom I have an ideological problem, it's not easy. I have to give up ideologically. But if all you want is that marriages be in the hands of the orthodox, that's not a problem. I can give that to you. If you, all you want is more money that your boys can sit in your shiva all the time and not go to the army, that's not a problem. I'll pay you to do that. Just vote for me on issues of war and peace and everything else. And so all of a sudden, the issue of the electoral system in Israel becomes very real and has to be changed. But by law, who can change the electoral system? Only those who were elected on the old electoral system and don't stand a chance of ever getting elected again under a new system. Not a chance they have to do that. But now it could start to work, because in the last elections, this is, this is just a sideline, something very, silly, very, very, very serious happened in these last elections. It has nothing to do with war and peace, it has nothing to do with the economy, it has to do with age. This last election, the vast majority of members of the Knesset who were elected, were under the age of 50. And none of them have experience in the world of the old politics. That more than anything else makes this last election an election that may be a watershed in Israel's history. MAYBE it's very easy to learn the tricks of the old. I hope they don't. I'm running really out of time, I want just one or two other issues. I'm a grandfather. As a matter of fact, I'm already a really great grandfather. You're supposed to say, oh no, you look so young. <laughs>
2: anyway.
1: But I remember when I became a grandfather. It was a moment of crisis in my life. I was only 41. I became a grandfather, if the crisis was that there was somebody else in Jerusalem who thought he was the grandfather of my grandchild. That was my (laughs) (laughs) girlfriend. My daughter-in-law's father. He thought he was the grandfather of my grandchild. It was a horrible experience. <laughs> and the worst thing about it is we went to the same synagogue. <laughs> and every Shabbat, I used to wait and see when the kid walked in who he well. would kiss first. <laughs> I paid double to get a seat on the aisle so that he couldn't get to the other grandfather until he passed me. <laughs> It wasn't easy. (laughs) But Israel is very much like that grandchild. We're actually living at one and the same time as two grandfathers. We are very much a part of the West. We are a democracy. We align ourselves with democratic parties. We're based in a crazy Middle East, and until we become an integral part of the Middle East, we will never be safe and secure. So and this struggle that Israel goes through almost every day—of who am I? How long can I continue to be so dependent on the on the West? When am I going to really be accepted by my partners in the East? And we live with that all the time. And almost every single economic decision you make, you have to ask yourself, what's this going to reflect? Is it going to help me become a more a part of the world in which I have to live? Or is this going to tie me more strongly to the West? And I don't want to give up either grandfather. Unfortunately, my grandchild do not want to give up that other grandfather either. <laughs> But you have to live with both. And I want to end with one last story. Almost exactly a thousand years ago, a Jewish philosopher by the name of Rabbi Yehuda Halevi, writes a book called the Kuzari it's a book of philosophy but it's based on what well, I believe is a fictional but many people believe it was true a debate between a rabbi and a king a king of the Khazars and the whole book is a book in which the king asks questions and the rabbi answers the questions and in this way the rabbi teaches his philosophy he puts words into the mouth of the king as a question, and then in the answer he gives his philosophy. The only problem is that twice in the book the rabbi, the king, asks a question, and the rabbi's answer is, "I don't know." <laughs> rabbi you don't you, what's wrong with you? You wrote the question. <laughs> Why did you put it in the book if you don't know the answer? But twice in the book the king asks a question and the rabbi's answer is I don't know. I want to share with you what those two questions were. After the rabbi had told the king how much the Jews love the land of Israel. When they pray they face the land of Israel. When they dream of their salvation they dream of their salvation in the land of Israel. They pray for rain according to the seasons in the land of Israel. They love the land of Israel! And the king says, So why don't they go there? A thousand years ago, people. Almost exactly a thousand years ago. And the rabbi answers, I don't know. And the second time is when the king when the rabbi has finished telling the king how everybody who had power always used their power against the Jews the history of the Jews is pogroms and holocausts and anti-Semitism whenever anyone had power they used it against the Jews and the rabbi says and the king says to the rabbi If the Jews ever have power, will they know how to use it differently? Mm
2: -hmm.
1: And the rabbi answer is, I don't know. My friends, a thousand years ago, still the two central questions facing our existence. Number one, what really is the relationship between the Jewish people and Israel? How does that love reflect itself? How deep is it? What is the demand of you? How much consideration can I demand from Jews? Can you think of living there? Can you recognize that last week's Yom HaShoah and Yom HaZikaron and Yom HaOtzma'ut in Israel were not Israeli festivals? They were Jewish events. Yom HaShoah the siren goes off in Israel and the entire people of the country stand for two minutes at attention commemorating an event that never happened in Israel. I know of nothing that reflects more the fact that the State of Israel is a Jewish State. And a week later, the siren goes off again on Yom And The entire people of Israel stand in at attention in commemoration and in memory of those who gave their life for the state. And it's a really sad day. Buses on those days are free to the cemetery. You sense it in the air. Israelis don't honk their horns on Memorial Day. That's something. <laughs> <laughs> there are no sails on Memorial Day. It's deep sorrow. But the strangest thing happens just because the clock moves from 7.59 to 8 o'clock and all of a sudden people who've been deeply in sorrow are dancing in the street. And it's not an accident that these two days are together. And you know why they were put together? Ben Gurion describes it beautifully. He says, as long as we can value As long as we can put these these two days together, we'll express that we value what we received in return for the price we paid. Mm -hmm. And what did we receive in return for the price we paid? The guarantee that that which we commemorated a week ago on Holocaust Day will never ever happen again. That doesn't make it an Israeli event. It's a Jewish event to what extent are Jews going to understand and develop that relationship with Israel and secondly can Israel learn to use power differently just because we got beaten up does that mean that when we get a chance to hit back we have to or is there another way of using power I don't know the answer to that question. But in today's life, we Jews in Israel and diaspora should be talking to each other about these issues rather than yelling and criticizing each other. Thank you very much for listening. <laughs> yes, sir. You
3: mentioned uh, a lot of the like, you taught uh, Holocaust
2: studies uh, in Israel. Um, can you comment on the um, statistic that there are something like one-third to, between a fourth and a third of the Holocaust survivors, of which are like 190,000 remaining in, the, in Israel, uh, why so many of them are
1: living below the poverty line? can you send them? to embarrass me? No. <laughs> the statistic is correct. We should be ashamed of ourselves. And it was the first act of this new minister of finance. The first act was to determine that within two months, every Holocaust survivor will be living above that level. They approved in the first session in which he sat a hundred million dollars a year to that. Fee. There's no reason why previous governments could not have done that. They were just too preoccupied with other issues. Number one, and number two, Holocaust survivors never created their own political party to take care of themselves. I'm embarrassed, but the statistic you quote is quite right, and it's a real embarrassment. I hope you're awake. <laughs> <laughs> thank you all for listening. Yes, there's a question back there.
2: Would you like to comment at all on um, the demographic issue at hand, given the lack of the two-state
1: solution? As it relates to the peace process? Correct. Uh, thank you for the question. i am trying to avoid politics. <laughs> Standing before the citizens of the Middle East are two options to our future. A one-state solution or a two-state solution. A one-state solution definitively means we cannot remain a democratic state and a Jewish state because of demography. I'm a South African. I lived in an immoral country. I never want to live in an immoral country again. The two-state solution is the only possible solution. The only problem is that both sides have to agree to it. And at the moment, there are extremists on both sides. We are fighting desperately to prevent the two-state solution. As a matter of fact, only a few months ago, Abu Mazen came to the United Nations in order to declare the creation of a Palestinian state. I was thrilled. It was a gift from heaven. Had I been Prime Minister of Israel, the moment he'd made that proposal, I would have got up and been the first to vote for it. It would have changed and nailed down the two-state solution, finally. My Prime Minister thought differently. I am not sure whether because of his personal views or because of his dependence on the settlers in the West Bank for his majority. But again, the only way to ensure a two-state solution, because I honestly believe that the majority of Israelis believe that that's the solution, the only way to ensure that is to change the electoral system.
3: Could you comment quickly on the subject you covered at lunch today, question of conversion?
1: Your I'm asking you to join me in, in a. I, I don't even if I was there when I spoke about that this morning. No, you left before. That's why. I That's why he asked me to do this. He wants you to hear this. I, I, you, you left just as I am about to talk about. I was very sorry. I was the I was the president of Hillel, internationally, the best job in the Jewish world. More frequent flyer miles than anyone. Because there are heroes in every country of the world, all over the world. You've got, and if you're president, you have to visit them all, right? Right. So, <laughs> my biggest shock in this country was coming across something called a converted Jew. <coughs> I don't understand what a converted Jew is because they were talking about somebody who converted to Judaism. I don't understand that phrase. By Jewish law, someone who joins us is a Jew, not a converted Jew. Get rid of that statement. And by the way, you can't convert to a people. You can convert to a religion and Judaism is not a religion. But that was this morning's lecture. (laughs) The Jews are a people. We are a family. You know what you call a converted Jew really is? Is an adopted child into the family. Mm -hmm. And we should call them adopted to the family. And we should treat them as adopted children. You don't run around reminding adopted children that they're adopted. But there is a phrase in Jews are called a converted Jew. I just said it before. You know who's a converted Jew? Someone who converts out. (laughs) He may think he's a Catholic. (laughs) (laughs) Do I have news for (laughs) you? By Jewish law, he's called a converted Jew. That's amazing. If you join us, you're a Jew. If you leave us, you're a Jew! I know of only one sociological structure to which that applies. And that's the family. How do you join a family? You're either born into it or adopted by it. How do you leave a family?
2: You don't! <laughs> you may think you have but
1: that's the It's the same with being a Jew. How do you become a Jew? You're either born into it or adopted by it. How do you leave? You don't! (laughs) (laughs) Rabbi.
0: As a master educator, how do you teach that sense of peoplehood to people who are, one, looking to become part of the family, but two, also, I think we live in a time now where there is confusion amongst our people of that quality of peoplehood. So somebody who was born of Jewish parents that views Judaism as more of a religion than that sense of peoplehood. How do
1: you instill it? Only by beginning to educate from early childhood that we're not a religion. Mm -hmm. And every show should have, (coughs) welcome to my chapel. We are not a religion. (laughs) This is your family home. Mm -hmm. And if the rabbis would begin to say that first, It will change overnight. Only you and and the rabbis can help win this battle. But it's the battle for the soul of the Jewish people. It will guarantee our survival. Thank you very, very much. Good evening.